0: Welcome to No More Risk Better a Credit Sites Podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy.
1: And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities
0: and the risks facing the fixed income markets.
1: As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Know More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm your host today, Zach Griffiths, Senior U.S. Investment Grade Strategist. And joining me today is Matt Woodruff, our Senior Aerospace and Defense Analyst. Thanks for taking the time today, Matt. Thanks for having me, Zach. Good to be here. All right, so we got the first quarter in the books. We're going through our Q2 outlooks, thinking about how the world has changed or how it has not, I'd say it's changed quite a bit from market's perspective over the first quarter. So Matt, let's just start with your sector recommendation for IG and high yield and kind of walk us through if that's changed after the first quarter of the year and why you are either updating that position or maintaining your outlook.
0: Sure. Thanks. Yeah, this is a great time to be talking about this. The market definitely has moved so far here in the first quarter. So great time to be talking about our outlooks. And it has changed. So to airspace and defense, just to start off, of course, as a defensive sector, when the economy is doing worse, it tends to do okay and underperform when the economy is doing better. So to start out the year in IG airspace, we were actually outperform. It was the next, uh, the aerospace index was trading about ten basis points inside the overall IG index, which even though it's inside, more typically the index would be trading about thirty basis points inside. And the, really, the driver there, the driver there was really Boeing. And Boeing, of course, has been going through you know, going on four years of just a very difficult situation. It started with its main product, the seven thirty seven Max, having couple of tragic crashes in 2018 and 2019. That led to an almost two-year period where there were no deliveries. And the Boeing's just been kind of recovering. And of course, uh, in the middle of that whole thing, they got hit with COVID as well. So it's just been a tough time for them. And spreads really widened out dramatically, trading at almost high yield levels at the widest. And that's been kind of a big driver of IG Aerospace and Defense. Boeing is about 30% of the index there. And really what we've seen over the first quarter and really in the very back half of of last year as well, last couple of months of last year as well, is that the confidence in Boeing turnaround is really starting to take hold in the market. And so spreads have tightened in fairly significantly at the same time as I'm sure As we've all seen, the economy situation has gotten more and more questionable. And so that caused all the defense companies to really outperform as well in the first quarter here. And so you had a situation where Boeing is doing really well. Most of the defense companies were doing really well. And the index on the IG side really just came in pretty dramatically, more in line with kind of their historical levels, about 30 basis points inside the index today, close to that. And so that's really the kind of the, where the historical level is. And so what we've done recently is we've moved to market perform away from our outperform view, just kind of recognizing, hey, this sector has done really well so far this year because of that uncertainty, because Boeing confidence in Boeing has gotten better. And so we moved that one to market perform. On the high yield side, we actually started the year with a market perform view, even though yields started the year, it really very close to the 10-year tights relative to the index. But there was one credit that we saw really scope for outperformance and that was Bombardier. And Bombardier has done tremendously well year to date. It makes up about 20% of the sector. Uh, Again, this is a debt pay down story at Bombardier and one that really goes back a few years, similar to The Boeing story, they had significant operational issues, kind of different than the Boeing stories. They've sold down a bunch of assets, used proceeds to pay down debt, and they continue to pay down debt today. Confidence in that turnaround story has really taken hold this year. And at this point, that credit's kind of trading at double B type levels, despite being rated low B. And this is kind of what we thought would happen. We thought this credit would trade pretty well this year. That has mostly played out. And so we've moved our REC on Bombardier to market perform recently. And with that move to market perform, looking at kind of the broader aerospace and defense high yield index, we realize that the sector actually trades at a seven, you know, almost 7% yield today, which is well inside the broader high yield index, almost 180 basis points inside the broader index. So it's kind of tough for us to stay at market perform, given that we moved off our biggest outperformed view there on Bombardier to, to market perform. Uh, and the overall levels are just quite tight. So we did move to an underperformed view there on high yield. So downgrading both investment grade and high yield to underperform investment grade to market perform here is kind of the biggest changes we've seen so far here in the first quarter. Great. Well, that's
1: really helpful and important to highlight as we think about the remainder of the year. And it seems like most of the consideration here is relative value-based considering spreads have tightened in either back to historical norms from wider levels, or even through that, are there any other technical or fundamental considerations that you either see as kind of risks to your new downgraded outlook or support that move lower on both recommendations?
0: Yeah, I'd say to the extent that there's concerns, thinking about high yields and thinking about issuance and concerns around potential supply, one of the risks to our underperform view is that a lot of the refinancing that needed to be done through 2024, 2025 has, has really mostly been done here. So to the extent that investors are worried about this big supply coming, we don't see that happening transdime has is the biggest issuer in the high yield space they make up almost 50 percent of the high yield index and they have refinanced you know all of their debt through 2025. there's really nothing left to do for them bombardier has also cleared their runway mostly through 2024 now looking at into the 2025 area as well triumph on the high yield side was a was a credit that was looking a little iffy they have cleared their 2024 maturities So we just don't see a lot of supply coming. There's only really one that we can see, and that would be Spirit. They have 1.2 billion of 2025 notes coming. So from a supply perspective, we're not going to get a lot. And so to the extent that supply would potentially hurt levels and that there would be some new issue concessions that would be demanded by the market, that's not a risk. Now, historically, the supply in the AED space does not offer up a whole lot of new issue concession. And. To the extent that the market kind of remains in that defensive stance, there's probably not a lot of risk to that new issue concession idea. but that's definitely one thing that is a potential risk. The other thing is it, just if the market completely implodes, of course, both of these sectors, both investment grade and high yield, what will do quite well. So if we do get a significant downturn in the overall market, that's probably the biggest risk to being market perform on that IG side and underperform on the high yield side.
1: That's certainly important to highlight. And for the record, from a strategy perspective, we are not calling for a market implosion or even an economic (laughs) implosion. We're sticking with our call for certainly below potential growth this year, but think that we can avoid a recession at least in 2023. And so I guess from that, backdrop and from these sectors being defensive, that sort of fits with the downgrade and sort of, I guess, market perform or underperform recommendation for IG and high yield. So what economic catalysts have you been keeping an eye on? Again, is, is there anything that from, I guess, I feel like things have started the year on a more positive note, which sounds like might be giving you some pause or at least is being factored in. To these adjustments is there anything that you're watching that would really cause you to think that from an economic fundamentals perspective these moves lower in rating could come into question
0: so for the aerospace and defense side demand is super high on both of these on both of these sides of course the defense side we still have the russia ukraine war going on this is not in the news every day but i can tell you they're still fighting every day over there Ukraine has successfully defended themselves over the winter. Russia had an offensive that did not go well. Uh, The thought right now is that Ukraine will actually go on the offensive in the spring here. So fighting is likely to pick up as they try to take back some territory that they lost over the last couple of years. So that's still going on. And to the extent that the Russia-Ukraine war is still there, to the extent that politics is not going the right way as far as the geopolitical situation in the Asia-Pacific is concerned. Specifically, China, of course, is viewed as a big adversary to the West. To the extent that all that continues, defense demand is going to be quite huge. And defense just is extremely long cycle. These defense uh, plans go out 10 years plus. So it takes a long time to move the needle on these things. But the needle is certainly pointing up on the defense side. On the aerospace side, we've had a nice recovery in travel. And really, we've got a situation where we have a new generation of jets, both from Boeing and Airbus, that are about 15, 20% more efficient than the old generation of jets. And so everybody wants these things. The backlog stretches to the end of the decade. If you were to try to order a new plane from Boeing today on the narrowbody side, you're looking at 2028 would be the first time you could get it. On the Airbus side, it's 2029 would be the earliest you could get it. So just extremely long backlog So now there is a component on the aerospace side that is more impacted by the short, short cycle stuff, more impacted by the number of cycles that are actually happening out there on the aftermarket side. But overall, you're looking at extremely long tail on the aerospace side too. So what would really move the needle would be something more long-term in nature, more of a long-term change to travel. Uh, when covid first hit there was certainly a lot of uncertainty as to how covid would impact the travel on a global basis now it's fully back almost everywhere even china is looking quite good at this point which had been a laggard due to their covid policies but it's something like that could potentially move the needle if we were getting into some kind of crazy black swan event could potentially move the needle but other than that it's really about execution demand is so high that it's about executing so both boeing and airbus are trying to ramp production on the narrowbody side boeing's trying to go from 31 a month on its 737 max currently to 50 a month in 2026 airbus is trying to go from about 45 a month right now to 75 per month 50 percent bigger than than boeing would even do on the narrowbody side by 2026 and so what This is actually extremely challenging for the supply chain. What happened during COVID, of course, is because of the uncertainty, there was a lot of layoffs that happened. A lot of people took early retirement. That led to a lack of qualified people. And so, as these companies ramp up production, they're needing to find people that haven't done this before, train them on the fly and get them out there. At the same time, of course, the FAA, given the MAC situation, is more sensitive than ever to quality issues. And so, they're very closely watching. They individually inspect every single delivery that Boeing does. It has to be done right, too. It's really just challenges on uh, the execution side is kind of the main thing. What I would watch more than anything, like I continue to, is just on the deliveries. Like, how are those going? And so Boeing has provided guidance to, for 400 to 450 737 deliveries and about 70 to 80 uh, 787 deliveries this year. And so I'm constantly tracking that. On a daily basis, we have public sources that give us delivery information. So that's really the biggest piece of information that's going to help me. It gives me real-time information. So we know these airlines need these planes and want these planes, right? That delivery information is really giving us real-time information on how Boeing is executing on their operations. Airbus, of course, has the same challenges. It's just not nearly as dramatic for the credit side. Airbus is in a situation on their balance sheet where they have more cash than debt. So it's not nearly as much of a credit issue as Boeing is sitting at low triple B, two of the agencies and mid triple B at Moody's. Interesting. What are the sources for tracking deliveries that you
1: keep an eye on that are publicly available?
0: Yeah. So Planespotters.com is a website that's free to anyone and they can sign up and that's, it's a third party delivery site. It's not completely accurate, but I follow that pretty closely Boeing actually gives the real deliveries on the second Tuesday of the month following the month that they're reporting as well. So we do get monthly data, a monthly reel from Boeing that can kind of chew up that information. But yeah, so the best free site, I think, is plane spotters. Interesting. That is something
1: new for me. So I'm I'm learning more and more on these podcasts every time we do one. So switching gears, Matt, how do you think clients are positioned in your sector? Do you think some people are kind of taking risk off or at least reallocating now that we have had a strong start to the year and from a relative value perspective, perhaps things don't look attractive or are you running kind of counter to what you're hearing from clients that you talk to kind of give us an an overview of what you think is the overall positioning in the sector right now?
0: Sure. Yeah. I think coming into the year and certainly at the end of last year, there was a lot of bullishness around Boeing. Boeing is probably the most topical name The other name that's not specifically in the A&D index that people talk about a lot is General Electric. And of course, General Electric has gone through a major transformation, basically pairing off their financial services unit. And now at this point, they're doing spinoffs of everything, but their aerospace unit. So they will be an aerospace only company starting in 2024. There's been a lot of bullishness around both of of those names. And so I think my outperform view on Boeing is, is, is fairly consistent with where the market is at out there. Coming into the year, there was also a lot of interest around the defense companies, primarily just g- given the fact that there was uncertainty around the economy, but also the potential demand impacts that are going to be coming in from the Ukraine war. So I think all that was fairly consistent. I don't get a sense the change that I'm making for, to market perform on the a side or underperform is really being executed a lot among clients. I do think that there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And I think that most managers, even if they are giving up a little bit of yield at this point, are okay with giving up that yield. Just given that, okay, here's a part of the portfolio we don't have to worry about, taking that type of type of perspective for now.
1: That's definitely helpful to consider as far as positioning and how that could factor into to future moves if the economic or fundamental landscape were to, to shift dramatically. I know we sort of talked about supply and a lot of refinancing getting done a bit ahead of time in the high yield space. Is there anything that you are keeping an eye on in the IG space, any issuance so far to start the year? Any interesting deals And and I guess in general, how are you thinking about new issue perhaps for the investment grade side of things since we sort of hit high yield already?
0: Sure. Yeah. So the investment grade side. So what, what happened in investment grade is there was when COVID hit, there was a lot of initial supply that came in just as these companies wanted to fortify their balance sheet, get some cash on the balance sheet to kind of wait out COVID. Everyone was kind of uncertain about it. So there was a lot of 2020 issuance and that followed into 2021. In 2022, there was actually virtually nothing on the investment grade side. All we really had was about $4 billion from Lockheed Martin. And so this year, we had expected about 10 billion of IG issuance, and we're gonna exceed that, I think. So far, we've gotten 3 billion from Raytheon Technologies. I only had them down for about 1 billion. We got 2 billion from Northrop Grumman. We got almost a billion from from Lados. All those companies could potentially come with additional supply as the year goes on. We do have one company that's quite acquisitive, and a company that I like, given current levels, is L3Harris. L3 Harris closed on one $2 billion acquisition already this year, and they've got another one that they're waiting on approval for, $4.7 billion acquisition of Airjet Rocketdyne. That's a pretty interesting situation. So Airjet Rocketdyne is this key missile propulsion input supplier to the defense industry. They're a key supplier into Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, which are kind of the two big missile suppliers. And Lockheed Martin actually tried to acquire this company and the FTC shut that down and they said, hey, you're going to potentially cut off access to kind of critical components just to these other competitors. And so they did not like that at all. Certainly Raytheon, the other big competitor in their space, didn't like that at all. So the FTC shut that down last year. And then this year, L3Harris said, oh, why don't we give it a try? They are trying to acquire this company. They announced the acquisition, a shareholders of Airjet Rocketdyne approved it. The trick is of course, getting the FTC to approve it now. And so the equity market's kind of giving themselves about a 60, well, it's implying about a 60% chance of this deal going through. So, you know, pretty close to a coin toss at this point. I think from, as far as my perspective, Lockheed Martin would probably be okay with L3Harris acquiring this company. I, kind of doubt that Raytheon would be okay with it. But, and if to the extent that they are not okay with it, they probably have the pull to kind of make this not happen. So it'll be interesting to see how this uh, plays out. But if the deal does go through, it's $4.7 billion acquisition. L3Harris has actually put in facilities to cover all this. So they put in a 364-day facility, $2.4 billion. They also put in a CP facility. So they have funding for this in place. So there is no immediate need. To come to the market but the reality is they're like if this deal does go through they're likely to come to market at some point and it could be significant in size so i i was thinking at least three if not four billion to kind of have have some long-term funding related to this even as all that goes through i think leverage will be on par with some peers such as northrop grumman which are actually a little bit higher rated than l3 harris is i'm a big fan of the l3 harris portfolio. They tend to have higher margins than the rest of the defense group does. Pretty high tech stuff tend to be importantly agnostic to platforms as well. So a lot of these companies you kind of worry about. The biggest program, of course, is the F-35 jet, and that's Lockheed Martin's program. There's always concerns in the market where the market's thinking about, okay, where are deliveries going to be going for this? Are we at the point where they're kind of stagnant? Are they starting to go down? The equity community in particular is very attuned to that situation but for a company like l3 harris they don't really have a, a large concentration to large programs like that so it's kind of nice it, there's not as much overall concerns about where the budget is going for a company like this so i'm a big fan of the company and you're getting 30 basis points pick up on this so it's one of my favorite names actually right now but that's the one that's kind of could have potential you know decent size of supply still on deck. I mentioned that Northrop Grumman had already done $2 billion. They could come back with another billion. Um, There are a couple other smaller companies that we could see as well, but overall likely to be well ahead of, of last year's $4 billion of IG issuance.
1: Great. Thanks, Matt. And I think the L3 Harris comments were kind of a perfect segue into where I wanted to go next as we kind of get to the end of things here. That sounds like one of your favorite names. Can you kind of hit us with any other top picks, top pans, or favorite carry trades you have as we kind sure. of work into Q2
0: and beyond? Sure. Yeah. So I still like Boeing and kind of briefly mentioned the spreads have solidified there. You could view it as a carry trade plus at this point, but they are still negative outlook at S&P. I think that before the year end, assuming the execution goes as planned and, and things are going fairly well, by the way, as far as I can tell. The first quarter deliveries did come in at an okay level. They actually outperformed on the 737 narrow body side, a little bit light on the wide body side, but nothing too dramatic. So I think that SP will finally come off their negative outlook at some point in the back half of this year, most likely. And then ultimately, I think this is a credit that's going to high triple B, given the fact that they're gonna pay down a ton of debt along the way, probably you know yeah, at least 20 billion, if not 30 billion over the next few years. So, it's definitely a credit. I think investors should remain long, even despite the outperformance so far. So, that's one that I would definitely highlight. On the defense side, a lot of these names are, are just kind of difficult from an evaluation standpoint. But L3 Harris, as I mentioned, is my favorite one on the defense side at this point, remains so. We do have a great crossover name, and that is Helmet Aerospace. At this point, two double B ratings and one triple B minus rating at Fitch. I, we think that s and p is going to move on them actually this year. It could happen you know as soon as June. This is a supplier to the engine the engine makers. They make extremely difficult to manufacture aluminum and titanium alloy parts and it's been a It's been a choke point for the industry, and uh, they've performed extremely well, especially compared to some of their competitors from an operational standpoint. They're also paying down a little bit of debt. So that's a rising star. It's it's definitely, should be in it to the extent that IG investors can hold some names that are currently rated double B. That's a crossover name that, that you should be invested in. Great.
1: Thanks, Matt. This has been immensely helpful. And I think our clients will really appreciate these updated views as we head into Q2. So that's Matt Woodruff, our senior aerospace and defense analyst. Thanks again, Matt. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining us. We'll catch you next time.
0: Credit sites, disclaimer: All price
1: references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. Is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.